This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. Currently, we are offering a special early bird discount of $400 for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. Don't wait on this one, guys. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. Are the people you're surrounding yourself with the people you should be surrounding yourself with? You might have some friends that really don't deserve your friendship. Today on the show, we welcome Taylor Pearson. Taylor is the author of the number one business bestseller, The End of Jobs, a book that talks about what many location independent entrepreneurs can relate to, redefining life mixed with travel and remote work. Our world is changing rapidly, and so is business in the way we see life. A 40-year career with a company is pretty much dead, and the idea of a regular 9-to-5 job is decaying as well. Taylor and I jump into the specifics of the end of jobs and why he decided to write it. We then jump into a conversation accidentally about analyzing friends. Taylor and I discuss how we measure our friends and the importance of doing it. If you are curious, if you are really surrounding yourself with the right people, you might want to listen to this episode. And without further ado, let's welcome Taylor Pearson to the show. Welcome, Taylor, to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for calling in and joining us on the show, my friend. And uh, I'm excited to interview you because we've met a couple times, but we haven't really sat down and got to know each other. But I know you're doing a lot of great things. About a year or so ago, released a book that got some great reviews. And I'd love to hear about that process and learn more about you. So I want to give you the mic, Taylor, just for a minute or so, and we can get your background and we can learn more about how you became the entrepreneur that you are today so uh, I'm originally from Memphis Tennessee um, I went to college at a small liberal arts school in uh, Birmingham Alabama and um, I did a study abroad program my junior year I spent six months in Argentina and I was planning on being uh, a lawyer because I wasn't good at or I didn't think I was good at science and math and so, uh, you know, the kind of the default career path, at least kind of like among people I knew was like, oh, well, you know, you can at least become a lawyer. You can't become a doctor or an engineer or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I decided that maybe that wasn't quite what I wanted to do. And I read this book called The 4-Hour Workweek, as many other people have. And it suggested that perhaps there were some other ways of thinking about your career. And so that kind of set me off um, on a different path. I, um, I was a freelance medical interpreter for a while. Um, I taught English. I lived in Sao Paulo, taught English at an English school uh, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, and then in between English classes, so I was teaching for um, like professionals and students. And so I would usually have maybe some classes like 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. and then um, maybe like 4 p.m. to 9 or 10 p.m. at night. And so I had this big chunk in the middle of the day and I started reading all this stuff about um, kind of online business, internet business stuff. And uh, Got interested in WordPress, kind of taught myself how to make WordPress sites, got interested in SEO, uh, started um, writing uh, SEO articles and hiring contractors to do. And this was maybe like 2011-ish um, when a lot of people were doing this kind of like a SEO niche site thing. Mm -hmm. um, I did that and that was kind of my um, 
dipping the toes in the the water of business and entrepreneurship and marketing, which I didn't have any kind of formal background in. And I actually, after my visa ran out of Brazil, I moved back to Memphis and cold emailed a bunch of marketing agencies and said, hey, uh, I've got these SEO websites. I kind of know what I'm doing. You should give me a job. And so uh, one person replied back at, I think, like 10 or 12 that I emailed. And I met him for coffee. And uh, he gave me like a part-time thing. and was like, if you're good, we'll hire you. And so um, that eventually turned into a full-time job. And I was a project manager at um, a local marketing agency. Uh, and then I went to work with a startup in San Diego for a couple of years doing similar stuff, marketing their uh, e-commerce brands. I think you've had one of the founders, maybe both the founders, Dan Andrews and Ian Schoen mm-hmm. uh, on the show. After that, uh, I wrote a book that you mentioned called The End of Jobs, which is basically me explaining to um, a lot of my friends from Birmingham or Memphis who um, I certainly had never I didn't know anyone growing up who identified as an entrepreneur. I had never identified as an entrepreneur or as someone that was particularly entrepreneurial. Um, and I think so much has changed because of technology and the internet and all the stuff you hear about. But it's often hard, you know, how does that affect my life? And so, you know, you think about, we understand the doctor career script or the accountant career script. Um, it's kind of clear what you, you know, you go to college, you take these classes, you get this GPA, you know, you take this exam, you get into med school, uh, you know, you, you do, you get X GPA in med school and then you get a residency and it's kind of clear how that life script looks. And so, uh, the book is basically kind of this new, um, internet entrepreneur life script. If you think about this life script, how do you, how do you behave differently or how do you act differently than maybe some of the life scripts you heard growing up? Yeah, I like that. You know, it's so interesting because you and I and run around in similar circles and this lifestyle is so normal to us. Well, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Like I personally don't realize sometimes how abnormal this lifestyle is for the rest of the world. So like I was at dinner with some friends the other day down here in Brazil and I was the only one at dinner with, it was just local friends. I was the only one at dinner that had this lifestyle and they were asking me questions about it and they were just kind of blown away. Like, how do you do this? Why do you do this? And it doesn't seem like possible. It doesn't seem real. And same thing. I imagine, you know, you were writing to your friends and family back home about kind of how this lifestyle is. I, I have that similar experience with my family and friends back home, but it is so foreign to a lot of the people out there. So I'm kind of curious the feedback that you got from your book from those people that you kind of had in mind when you were writing it. So the way it turned out, honestly, I think like the biggest, uh, the biggest use case I see for the book is um, people like you or me that are kind of, um, that have heard about and are doing these alternative things and are trying to, um, you know, your friend comes to you and says like, how do I, um, you know, how do I do what I, what you do or how do you do this? Um, it's kind of just like a, here's, here's a, how, here's how it works. Um, and here's how I think, and here's how I, I see the world. So a lot of it is, um, entrepreneurs that, uh, you know, like buy this book for their spouse or for their family to be like, this is, um, mm. this is why I'm doing, um, what I'm doing. So I think it's, there's some kind of like people get a better sense of, um, yeah. And part of the, I think I was trying to explain to my family as well, which is, you know, to, from their view, they're like, you need to go back to school and you need to get a graduate degree um, because that was what they'd always been told, right? Which is, you know, you need to go get more education and you need to get um, more credentials so you'll be able to um, like be competitive and get a job in, um, you know, the modern workplace. 
Um, and so I think it kind of shows in some degree that, hey, there's actually some other options here. Do you, do you find it difficult communicating to the, the friends and family back home what your future plans are and kind of what you're doing with your life these days? It really depends what I'm trying. If it's just someone I see at like a party or say hello, honestly, I just kind of keep it really vague. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I guess there's not a, I used to be a little bit more evangelical, but now I'm just like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just doing some writing and some marketing stuff and it's going fine. And, uh, for the, I mean, most people, that's all they, um, that's all they really care. They don't really want to know what the, you know, they're just kind of like making conversation, which is, you know, I do that too. Totally mm-hmm. fine. Um, but then, yeah, I, I've had some friends that have gotten really interested and have started to do, uh, similar things. I guess my, my motto is always like, uh, always leave the door open, but never push someone through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, you know, if they keep asking questions, I'll keep answering the questions, but I'm usually not the one. I don't try to do any, you know, you should do this or you should think this way kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Can we dive into the book more? I'd like to talk, Taylor, about the writing process and, and the growth process. So I'm guessing, I'll just throw this out there, that you, you got the idea because you had the experience of not being able to really communicate what this lifestyle was like. How long did it take you to write the book? It took me about nine months. Okay. Um, and I, I got the idea, I was speaking to a couple mentors of mine at a conference, actually, and they were both considering writing the book. And basically couldn't do it because they just had other business obligations and couldn't hack out, you know, like half their time for the next year to write a book. And they're like, you should write it. Um, and it made sense just in terms of where I was like with my business and my career. Um, and so I spent the better part of nine months on it. And I heard from friends of friends that you did an incredible amount of research while doing that. Is that true? I did. I am... Uh, I love all these like personality test things. I've taken like every like, you know, strengths finder. And now, I mean, I've spent hundreds and hundreds, maybe probably thousands of dollars at this point on all these things. Uh, and I always come out like very, very high on like the research component. I think that's something I just naturally gravitate towards. So yeah, I mean, there's probably, you know, a hundred ish books and or papers cited somewhere throughout the book. So if you think about the typical location, independent entrepreneur, you've done a lot of research on personality tests. What are some of the similarities amongst personality tests that you see of people like us? Um, I guess like the the first thing that pops to mind is um, like high, a strong freedom preference, if you will. I'm not crazy about the word freedom in the way it gets used, but like a, a real like independent streak. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of maybe one of the underlying things is this like, uh, kind of, I want to have full control over how I spend my time and where I spend my time. And I'm willing to sacrifice a lot of other things for that. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, the kind of the, you could say freedom is selfishness with like another emotional context. And they're not, those are, I think those are kind of synonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's probably the most common thing. And what is freedom to you? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure I have a, Oh, you mentioned Taylor uh, that, you, that you didn't like how a lot of people define the word. So I'm kind of curious on how it is, how you see it. So I think the way I hear people use the term in a lot of cases, people have this notion of uh, I'm not constrained by anyone or anything and have kind of full autonomy. Um, and I think uh, if someone were able to do that, it would be like a pretty miserable existence that no one actually wants full autonomy that, you know, as humans, we're social creatures to some extent, and you want to be part of a uh, network and web of other 
human beings. And so I, I guess freedom as I define it is being, uh, being able to exert a reasonable amount of agency over who that is, um, and, you know, who you spend your time with, where you spend your time with, um, being able to choose that, but not being, uh, totally unencumbered. Everyone's encumbered. You kind of, um, what's the, uh, there's a writer, I can't remember his name, but it's, you know, find what you love and let it kill you. So kind of the same, you know, find who you want to <laughs> hang out with and let them kill you. Um, I think that's true. Have you ever experienced a time where you had a personal or a serious threat to that freedom? Nothing that jumps to mind. I think most of the time where I experience threats to my freedom, they're like self-imposed. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I think I have to do something that I don't necessarily have to do. You know, I can look at my calendar and be like, oh, I have to do this. But you know, most of the time I really don't. I could get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think most of the constraints I see on myself are uh, are self-imposed. And I think that's uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, that's a a, a luxury. To, you know, that I'm self-imposing the constraints on myself. Yeah, I, I think so too. Like sometimes I think freedom, the ultimate freedom is just freedom from self because we have all these ideas and mental programs in our minds that really kind of control us. And, and for whatever reason, we decide to recreate those over and over and over. And sometimes it's extremely difficult just to liberate yourself from yourself, it seems like. It does seem like that. Very much so. So I I know you're big on goal setting, and I was reading one of your articles, Taylor, on your website, the planning article, and you talked about the entrepreneur's happy place and then setting up a system and like a long-term system to kind of fulfill those goals. So I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more about the entrepreneur's happy place, what it is exactly, and then how you create your structure of goals to fulfill that. Yeah, so I think there's a couple components. Um, One is, I think, finding kind of the right amount of stress um, that uh, there's a quote from Schopenhauer that I always uh, love to throw out, which is mankind is doomed to vacillate between boredom and anxiety. Uh, I think that's really true. Like, you know, kind of look at um, particularly entrepreneurial people on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. Either it's like there's bored and they're bored and there's nothing happening in the business. And so they go create a bunch of stuff happening in the business and then they're anxious <laughs> and stressed out and they just want to be bored. And you, know, you kind of like vacillate between these two, uh-huh. um, which I think is unavoidable, but trying to be, um, you know, manage you know how much you're not getting to a position where you're just you know super stressed all the time continually nor um super bored all the time continually and so uh one of the ways i've kind of managed that and i think the other um challenge the system i i came up with kind of tries to address is um kind of uh focus versus trying new things right you kind of hear both these messages if you uh, read business books or listen to to businessy stuff. They're like, hey, you need to pick one thing and you need to focus on it and you spend all your time on it. And then, you know, there's also this like kind of like lean agile message of like, hey, you need to like see what's working and do more of that and not be so, um, you know, focused on just one thing and plan the whole thing out. You need to respond to the environment because it's changing so fast and yada, yada. Um, and so the way I basically manage that is um, – running things through uh, 90 day sprints. Mm-hmm. Um, so figuring out, you know, what's a 90 day project. Um, and 90 days, I think is a nice little sweet spot because it gives you kind of enough time uh, where you can really get a lot done. Like I can get a draft of a book done in 90 days. It's a pretty significant chunk. Um, 
of work, but it's also not so much time that you feel um, stuck into whatever the project is, right? You know, if you work on something for any days and it turns out it wasn't what you thought it was or it didn't play out the way you thought it would, you can also go and do um, uh, something else. So that's kind of the... That's kind of the basis for the planning system, and then the rest of it kind of revolves around, okay, um, how do I set up uh, goals for those 90 days and then break those down into um, habits that I can do on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? So, you know, if you want to write the rough chapter of a book, maybe it's, you know, write a thousand words uh, every weekday, or if you're trying to get more leads for um, your company, it's, you know, create a new piece of content or create a new advertising campaign, or if you're trying to make more sales, you know, it's follow up on um, five prospects a day or whatever it is. How many goals are you doing every 90 days? Uh, max of three. Okay. And are those just related to work or are they uh, personal goals too? So I do, um, I do, uh, for health, for person, or excuse me, for health, for relationships and for work. Okay. Did you create this system? Uh, I did. I pieced together a bunch of different things I tried and have just been tweaking it for the last three or four years. Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher level entrepreneurs to bring you some applicable tactics for your business. October 26th through November 24th, we will have our most impactful event ever. Four weeks in the northern mountains of Thailand with other successful entrepreneurs that have six and seven figures in annual revenue in their businesses. The experience includes private accommodations, workshops, masterminds, advisors, high-speed Wi-Fi at a beautiful resort complex. And for our listeners, we have a special $400 early bird discount for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. So if you're ready to seriously take your business to the next level, contact us at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now back to the show. Could you share an example of a relationship or health goal? Relationship goals I find are very... uh... They're very input driven. Um, so Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective people author, his line is um, efficiency with tasks, but effectiveness with relationships. It's very hard to be efficient in relationships. It's kind of just uh, the currency of relationships is raw time. You just got to spend a lot of time with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually my relationship goals are something like that. Like I either want to, um, I'm trying to host more events. So like I'll host, um, say like host a monthly brunch in my apartment. Um, as a way to just like, kind of like bring people in and hang out, um, call people. So I'm trying to, uh, kind of like, I made a list of 50 people that I wanted to do a better job of staying in touch with. I try to call one every week, um, with no, again, like no particular outcome. Um, and then health stuff tends to be kind of the same thing for me. So I just want to go to, uh, the gym three days a week or do some sort of workout, um, three days a week. And the those people that you call, Taylor, are they people that are close to you or people that – how does one make that list? Um, I, just, I sat down and I said, who are 50 people that I would like to either maintain or, or um, improve my relationship with? There's, um, there's some research by a guy named Robin Dunbar. I believe his first name is Robin, but there's a semi – Malcolm Gladwell talks about it, so it's semi-popular now called Dunbar's Number, uh, which is basically – uh, his research showed that there's as a one person can maintain a relationship like a friendship level relationship with about 150 people mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't get talked about as much but he also in his research um, there's kind of like a, a factor of three levels so let's say you can have 150 friends that means you can have you know roughly uh, you know 50 good friends 15 great friends and five best friends 
Uh, and so, yeah, I just said, okay, well, you can have, you know, roughly 50 great friends. Who are the 50 people I'd like to be um, good friends with or great friends with? Now, do you ever entertain the idea of rotating those best friends or sometimes like, like for me, for example, I've had best friends that aren't necessarily best friends these days. They may have been during childhood. And I found too, that it's completely okay to rotate that. So for example, like this year, maybe I want to spend more time with three of the people on the list and maybe not two of the people. So I'll add two of the people to my list that I add. And I'm wondering if you've had a similar experience. Yeah. I think there's a, there's like a natural drifting in and out. Yeah. For everyone. Yeah. Have you read the book, uh, The Way of Men? Uh, I have a, a while ago. Okay. So it's written by Jack Donovan, I believe. And I, I, I don't necessarily recommend it because I didn't like it that much. But I learned he talks about this concept too. But what he does is like take your 150 people that you can be in contact with or be friends with. So what I did is I took that, I, that same idea and I categorize them as like, what type of friend are they? How much, when I've been doing something, how supportive have they been? How loyal have they been? How, how often have they checked up on me? And so I went through my list and there, there was, I was really surprised because the people I thought were better friends weren't necessarily as good of friends as I thought they were. And also there was friends that were way more supportive and loyal and, and just a, a better quality friend that I didn't even know. So I was, there was one guy in particular, I was, I saw that, like how many times he was always there and always, you know, just making sure everything was good for me and my life and checking up and being a a great friend. So I was like, I'm going to put this guy on my top five because he's really a phenomenal person. And now he's one of my best buddies today. So that, that, that concept is really cool, especially when you break it down into like subcategories even more so, because then you can see the people that, that are really there that deserve to be there that maybe you overlooked and the people that are there on your list that maybe actually don't really deserve to be there are just time wasters. So Yeah, I like that idea. So what were the criteria again? I'll write them down. I'm going to do that. Let me check it out. Let me see if I can pull it up on, because I, I made a Google Doc actually. And let me see if I can pull it up on my computer and give you the the categories really quick here. Here we go. My 150 people list. Okay, so so we broke them. So I broke them down into top priority, first priority, A team, which is people that I want to be more like. They're more like entrepreneurs that I really respect and want to become more like. Then second priority, third priority, and fourth priority. Um, and of course, you know, top priorities like dad, mom, my cousin, it's like his sister, her daughter, her husband, uh, my closest uncle and aunt and my girlfriend. And then first priority is people that could almost make that top priority, but they're just not quite there. So maybe they were best friends in college or best friends in childhood. Um, then I have my A team, which is a list of about 15 or 16 people that I really want to become more like who I still have a close relationship with. So I have a high level of respect for them and I kind of set my, my goals to become more like those people. Then second priority is friends, but I don't get to see them maybe once a, once or so a year, but I like them, love them, respect them. Third priority, distant family, friends from high school that I don't see too much anymore once every couple of years. And fourth priority, um, again, just one kind of level below that. And then I asked these questions and this, these are the questions that I got from 
of the way of men. One is who I would die for, who would die for me, who I would loan money to, who would loan money to me, no questions asked. Who could I depend on in an emergency, meaning they would fly wherever in a world that I am if I had an emergency. Who can depend on me in an emergency if the stuff hit the fan and they really needed me. Who would I follow? Who would follow me? Who would I invest money in? Who would invest money with me? And yeah, that's basically the, all the the questions there. And those so, are good. Yeah, those are really great questions. And so then I went through the list and I saw, you know, who qualified for all those questions. And that's how they got to like top priority, uh, first priority, second priority, third and fourth. And there was one guy on there who was like, he, he probably nailed, you know, 90% of the questions. And for me, I just was like, ah, oh, as a buddy, we talk to every now and then, but I really saw how loyal and how dependable he had been for me, um, over the past few years. And I was like, wow, that's one of my best friends. And I didn't even realize it. So it's, that's it's interesting. Cool. Yeah. I tried, I tried to come up with like a heuristic for each of the um, kind of the level, like the 5, 15, 50. And the two I came up with were, uh, uh, would this person watch my cat if I was out of town for a week? <laughs> um, I don't have a cat, but like that's like a, like that's a real ask. You know what I mean? Like you got to mm-hmm. take care of my cat for a week. And then um, uh, who would I donate a kidney for? Or would this person donate a kidney for me? Which yeah. is like a... It's like a, there's like a, I don't know, 1% chance of death when you donate a kidney. So it's like a real, like that's a real risk. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought that like those heuristics, I was like kind of like going through people and th- that was very clarifying. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, really when you think of it, you could just say like, you just got to surround yourself people that, with people that if you would die, I think if you would die for somebody and somebody would for you, like that's, that's the type of tribe that you want to build, right? Like that's the type of people that you would could always account on for anything. And they don't come, you know, of course, probably your parents and brothers and sisters, not always, but most of the time. But then other than that, like you have to form a really tight friendship to, to create that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, I went on a tangent and, <laughs> and let's go back to you. <laughs> that was a good tangent. Uh, I learned, I'm learning. Yeah. I'd like to ask you, Taylor, because I know you like these types of personality behaviors. And what are what are some other ones that you have found quite effective for your life or for your business that you that you use? Personality tests. Um, I like the Myers Briggs. It's not super insightful, but it's probably it's free and it's probably the easiest. Most people know theirs, so you can kind of start to ask other people their type, and you can mm-hmm. kind of get a sense for. Um, where people fall. Um, after that, there's one called Strengths Finder, um, which you, have, you buy the book Strengths Finder 2.0. You don't, you don't actually have to read the book, but the book gives you a coupon to like go to this website and you take their um, like Strengths Finder assessment. Uh, it's like t- it's whatever the cost of the book is, like 15 bucks or something. And uh, the data is quite good. I find like for the money, I think that's probably the best one. It's pretty cheap and really. Um, really insightful. Um, and the other one I really like is the, uh, Colby a index. Okay. Uh, I think it's 50 bucks. Um, but it's good. It's more like a businessy entrepreneurially, um, and profiles you along, uh, four dimensions. And that, that's a fair number of like, a lot of people use that in like their hiring process. So a lot of people, um, start asking around, know theirs, and it, it's been interesting, 
I probably started fooling with that one a couple of years ago. And I now, you know, maybe I know 20 or 30 other people's things and I can start to kind of see uh, like what kind of people I work well with, mm. um, what kind of projects I do well with as opposed to which kind of projects. Like I'm very high on uh, research. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I tend to pick, I try to pick projects where that benefits me and not pick projects where, um, you know, it's not useful. What are the four different personality types there? The first one is basically um, – the way they set it up is it's not you're like there's a good or a bad. They're just kind of like different ends of the spectrum. Um, the first one is uh, basically research. Like how like, like, do you kind of like hear about something and jump right in or do you like really deep dive on it and kind of go all the way? Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is basically um, like systematization. Um, so that, that's the other one I'm quite high on. Um, like planning things, uh, mm-hmm. uh, get it once you have something working, getting like the system dialed in. Um, mm-hmm. The third one is uh, I think they call it quick start, but basically like are you kind of like you jump right into things and roll with it, or um, you tend to be more like analytical and measure and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final one is. Um, Basically, like level of detail orientedness. That's definitely not what they call it. But is it like, are you kind of the person that really focuses on the particulars uh, and gets all the things dialed in? Or you kind of just like see the big picture and then you get bored with the um, the particulars. Taylor, what are you reading these days? Um, let's see. This morning, I was reading uh, the Lessons of History by Will and Ariel Durant, uh, which is quite good. They wrote a um, like they spent their whole careers writing this like 10 volume, 10,000 page, uh, history of, um, I think, I'm not sure if it was Western culture or history of the world, but basically it's been this whole year on their whole lifetime writing history books. And so this book is a basically like a hundred page summation of like everything we learned from spending an entire lifetime studying all of history. Wow. Um, that's really interesting. Um, I just finished, uh, Anna Karenina, which was really good. Uh, I've never, it's been on my list for forever. And uh, I read it on a beach vacation. Um, I'm rereading The Black Swan by Nassim Taleb, who's one of my favorite authors. Um, what, I'm do you reading like, the, what do you like about that book that, you, that makes you reread it? He is um, kind of like his work broadly is a lot of um, kind of like applying um, complexity theory. And complexity science was the subject I've gotten really interested in. Um, and so I kind of like to go back. He, he, he was like my introduction to the subject. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll go like read another book or I've taken a couple of courses on it. Uh, and then it's like nice to like go kind of like reread through some of his stuff again, like understanding at a deeper level what some of the terms mean and what some of the concepts mean and what he's, um, uh, what he's talking about. I think that book in particular I also read um, – uh, there's a, a kind of the same Tyler Cowen as this idea of quake books that like there's kind of this period in your life generally from like 16 to 26 ish mm-hmm. where um, you can have these quake books like books that really uproot your whole worldview that you know as you get older you kind of like you've kind of you've seen the world a little bit and you've read a little bit and you start to get um, you kind of have a worldview that's more fixed and it's hard to move around but at that stage in your life you can kind of uh, move your worldview really fast uh, in a really long ways. And so uh, The Black Swan was one of those quake books for me. I read it when I was like 21 or 22, and I was like, oh, my God, this changes everything I think really? about how the world works. 
works. Yeah. Wow. I'll have to put that on my list. Taylor, is there any other tidbits of wisdom you would like to leave the listeners with before we wrap up? Uh, I don't want to say stay hungry, stay foolish. I was watching Steve Jobs videos last night. <laughs> so I'll, that was a good line from him. I'll steal it. All right, great. And if the listeners want to reach out and learn more about you and what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that? Uh, so my site is um, taylorpearson.me. Uh, uh, my T-A-Y-L-O-R, Taylor's and Taylor Swift, for better or worse. <laughs> and uh, Pearson, P-E-A-R-S-O-N. Uh, my Twitter handle is the same thing at Taylor Pearson. Uh, me, uh, those are the two best places to get in touch with me. Uh, all right, my friend, we have to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for spending your time and letting us pick your brain, Taylor. We really appreciate. It. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and thank you everyone for listening. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for joining us once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.